So Jochen, uh, very welcome uh, to this podcast. It's just such a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for having me. Perhaps we can just start by by asking you what what does Harley Davidson mean? What's in that brand? Well, it's one of the most iconic brands in the world. It's been around for 119 years, and it you know stands for a lot of things, and in particular the freedom you know to ride, getting on the road, and uh, having adventure. Uh, that's what we say: freedom for the soul, and uh, and adventure is is really what makes Harley an extraordinary brand that is highly desirable uh, in a global context. Mm. And you're a biker yourself? I am. I grew up, uh, started riding when I was 16, and uh, then stopped like many do uh, once I had my uh, university degree and, and started working, and then went back into, got back into riding in my 30s and uh, been riding ever since. Yeah. Now, what's what's happening to, to the riders, you know, the age group and average age and so on? Well, uh, you know, we've had many, many generations of riders. Uh, as I said, the, the brand, the company was founded in uh, uh, 1913. So next year is our 120th anniversary, which is quite extraordinary uh, for mm. such an uh, such an American icon. And so it's gone through, uh, you know, many ups and downs, two world wars, the Great Re- Recession, uh, Depression, and uh, and we've always come out of it on top. So there are you know many generations that identify with Harley Davidson as a company and with ride, riding itself. And uh, you know we obviously always have to make sure that we get new customers, new people converted to riding uh, as others age out. But uh, just like myself, starting starting riding uh, rather early and then you know stopping for a while. Uh, you always edge back into it uh, if you want a bit of adventure and uh, want to experience the you know the great roads of uh, of this world, uh, not just in America but uh, you know in Europe, Asia, or wherever you might be. What do you ride? Uh, many different bikes. <laughs> <laughs> I have a few in my garage, uh, all the way from you know t- traditional combustion engine to electric live wires. Uh, and a sidecar that I ride with my kids that uh, enjoy riding uh, and our little dog. Uh, <laughs> so it depends on the occasion, really. And what's the most beautiful drive you've done? Well, uh, as you know, I you know I live in America now, and, uh, and there's just stunning landscape. I mean, I grew up always being a fan of uh, the Midwest and uh, and the Southwest as well. And and you know, I, I take every opportunity to ride there as much as I can. Those you know, huge endless roads, Route sixty six, uh, the Turquoise Trail, and many others. Uh, you know, riding through historic cities uh, and contemporary cities. Um, I wouldn't pinpoint one particular ride. Every every ride in itself has its own excitement. Um, I'm going back to Sturgis in August, which is the biggest motorcycle rally in the world, with with you know hundreds of thousands of, of bikers meeting, coming together, having a big party. So all the way from big r- r- rallies, but also being on the quiet road. Maybe one trip that I'll highlight is um, something I did uh, you know some months ago, riding from Santa Fe to Taos. Where Dennis Hopper is uh, is buried, um, you I'm sure you're familiar with Easy Rider, the iconic movie. So, riding into the sunset and ending up at his grave was quite a special experience. Wow, wow. Um, well, we come back to to Harley, but um, in the meantime, let's talk a bit about your um, earlier life. So, you um, I believe uh, became the CEO of Puma when you were only 29. I mean, that's quite extraordinary. How how did that happen? How did that happen? <laughs> well, uh, I I had been working with Puma for a couple of years, uh, worked with three different CEOs in, in a little over two years. Uh, none of them, unfortunately, worked out. 
and then the company was taken over by a Swedish uh, private equity firm and they asked me what was wrong and uh, they had heard from a previous CEO that I was doing a good job and wanted me to sort of present what I thought we should be doing and uh, after I presented my plan they decided to put me put me in charge as a, as a young man so you know it's quite a, quite a bit of a risk that they took but after three failed CEOs including a CEO that was a you know, Harvard graduate, I guess they, they felt that a new, fresh approach needed to be taken and what I presented made sense. Um, and then, you know, the journey began, really. Better to hire somebody from Mannheim. <laughs> well, I don't know, but, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, had, my, I had, my, had my first job in New York at Kogel-Pamalov, worked there for a little over two years, went back to Hamburg, and then I had Hunter called me. To Puma and uh, and I, I I wasn't the type of guy who would wanted to cl climb up the ladder step by step. I wanted as much responsibility as early as possible in my career, and and that was the opportunity that was then given to me. What did you do with Puma? Well, the company was in financial disarray. We had a little over hundred million dollars in sales, uh, and uh, you know a lot of losses ever since the pump company went public in the late eighties. Uh, so, eight years of consecutive losses. Uh, you know, a, a tired management team. Uh, we really had to restructure uh, the company from the ground up. We were still manufacturing in Europe, while the sporting goods industry had already moved to Asia. So, it was a comprehensive 360 overhaul and making sure that the company would make money uh, once and for all after eight years of losses. So I did a very comprehensive re-engineering restructuring program that I implemented within three months and we, we had a record year the following year and ever since. Uh, and that gave me the opportunity to then pay down our debt, our subordinated loans and uh, build a strong equity to then invest into re restructuring the brand and re-engineering the turnaround of the brand rather than the company and for that I moved to America because the trends were all set in the US at the time and uh, and then built a team in America to take the take the, take the brand to new heights which we then also accomplished after several years of investment mm -hmm. well what were the main learnings from this period well, you know, early on, I talked about the virtual headquarters, and that was when the when email was just invented. There was no World Wide Web yet, uh, because I felt that we needed competency where it was required. Whether that was in Germany for the more European-driven sports categories, whether it was whether it was in Asia from a sourcing perspective, or whether it was in America for categories like you know basketball baseball football running uh, and so on so you know building competency regionally rather than trying to centralize everything in one headquarter was was sort of something i truly believed in. and then being where the action was and for us uh, as a company it was in america and moving to america to do that allowed me to really steer the business uh, uh, through the three hot headquarters that i created and if you fast forward uh, pandemic uh, that kind of taught me that uh, a virtual uh, organization could certainly function and, and that led me to also restructure Harley-Davidson in a way where we are not just looking to hire uh, uh, you know new talent into one headquarter but think about it in a much more virtual way um, so that was sort of the beginning of you know the virtual work uh, and the future of work the way we look at it today Um, you were on the board um, of uh, Harley for 
many years before you took over as CEO. That's correct. Yeah. And um, tell me, the, I mean, the difference between being on the board and actually being the CEO in charge. What's um, what's the difference? Well, <laughs> it's a huge difference, as you can imagine. Uh, yeah. You know, as a CEO, you're in the driver's seat, you're in the trenches, you, you know everything that's going on. I'm a very hands-on CEO. I, I need to know everything that's going on in the, in the business. You know, as a board member, you fly 30,000 feet high and, and, and you, you know, your biggest job is to appoint the right CEO, uh, you know, sign off on a strategy uh, besides all the governance that, uh, that is required uh, and supervision that is required, but you are not making the decision. So having been on the board for many years, you know, although I was the one who set up the sustainability committee and pushed the company to go into electric, uh, you know, there's only so much you can do. Um, and, you know, sometimes it itches in your fingers to make a decision, but you can't because that's really a CEO job. So, you know, your influence is limited. Uh, and in a way that, you know, led me to accept the job when the board offered it to me to say, well, I think I know better. Uh, so I might as well put my money where my mouth is in a very difficult time when COVID just started. Did you find a lot of surprises? You always do, I think. I mean, I found a lot of surprises uh, at Puma at the time. Uh, you know, once you get very hands on and roll up your sleeve and, and really dig in, uh, you always get surprised. I was very surprised about the capabilities or lack thereof of the organization and the processes that the company is operating with. You know, Harley had been resting on its laurels for way too long. And so it required a big shakeup, which, which we did in the first year under the rewire program, which then led to the hardwire which is our first five-year strategic plan that we've started to implement early last year. Now, you're also going into um, electric. I mean, uh, electric Harley-Davidson, isn't that a bit like a vegan steakhouse? <laughs> well, vegan can, steak, <laughs> can, can, can taste like a good steak too, nowadays at least. Uh, that's the idea, <laughs> right? Um, well, I yes, uh, it can and it must long-term, but we also have to recognize that the electric customer of today is not the traditional Harley rider simply because our core categories are in touring uh, uh, and, and not so much in the street segment. Uh, yes, we are big in touring, in cruiser, uh, you know, to a small extent in, in small cruisers, but, but essentially it's about the, the, the journey and not the, the destination. So electric is much more of an urban experience now as the infrastructure, the electric infrastructure and charging structure is building. So we're talking about a different consumer, uh, a different uh, um, place where electric is riding versus our uh, Harley bikes, not so much in the city. Uh, in congested cities and therefore I decided to take uh, the model that was called Liveware and set it up and spin it off as a separate brand then division and now company uh, going public very soon mm. and that will allow us to really spearhead uh, the electrification of the sport and at the same time you know when the technology is ready and right now you, the battery technology is not ready to be put into uh, a, a long range touring bike simply because you know this is not a car where you have a lot of space to put battery. It's a small motorcycle with little space that needs to be recharged quickly. And it, that needs you to give you a range to really go across the country. And that is the technology is just not there yet. But rather than wait, I felt that having our own brand, separate brand that, that is part of the lineage of Harley Davidson and that can spearhead and innovate the electric space, uh, we, we would be able to then also to develop a technology that later on would be feasible for Harley-Davidson. And the advantages of having it as a separate company, what is that? Well, it's f f foremost agility. Uh, you know, 
Harley is a big company. It's a big brand. We have uh, we are certainly more complex than a startup is, and, and and giving a new brand its identity to talk to a different consumer, be more agile, more quick uh, when it comes to product development, uh, targeting the product and developing a product to a different consumer is only something that you can do under a separate umbrella and, uh, and therefore i felt it was necessary you know give give uh, that new brand the freedom and the ability to really make quick decisions independently from harley while at the same time still being able to tap into the the know-how that harley davidson provides from a manufacturing perspective from an engineering perspective as well so we don't have to do what uh, other ev auto brands are doing having to invest billions into new factories. We, we can use the assets that Harley has, but we can act in an, in, in an agile way, in an independent way, while uh, using the assets that Harley can provide. And that, that I think is a winning combination that nobody, really el nobody else can bring to the table. Now, if we change um, tack a bit here, um, so Jochen, you are one of the most socially conscious uh, people I, I know, and you know, like a proper deep thinker. I take that as a compliment. Thank you. You absolutely. But I uh, <laughs> just want to <laughs> give you an kind of a open-ended question here. Tell us about what is important in your life. Well, um, besides my family, of course, you know, I, I believe that we need to, uh, you know, improve society, improve humanity, and we have to do that while. Uh, keeping our planet healthy. So when we talk about sustainability, which is very important to me, you know, winning means winning for everybody and not just uh, at the expense of our nature or at the expense of society. And therefore, I truly believe in the triple bottom line approach of people, planet and profit and trying to create win-win uh, situations for everybody. And I'm trying to apply that in my private life, uh, in my philanthropic life and in my company, in my business life as well. One of the places you spend a lot of time is Africa. That's correct. I sort of had this as I grew up, you know, as a kid, I had two passions and one was sort of uh, the, the Wild West and one was Africa, uh, you know, sort of watching Westerns as a kid and, and watching, you know, uh, the, the German version of Nat Geo in uh, Germany. Um, and uh, I, I was always fascinated by, by, by nature and wildlife in Africa. So that, that became a passion of mine that I later, you know, managed to put in, into action by becoming, uh, you know, uh, uh, by setting up a wildlife conservancy in Kenya, and at the same time also having a place in in the in the southwest in America where we live uh, part time when we're in America. But you also early in in Puma, for instance, to use uh, black uh, athletes uh, in your advertising and so on. Yeah, I mean, I I. I love Africa, the, the diversity of the continent, its cultures. Uh, I love African soccer. And I was the first one to really integrate that into into, into Puma uh, and, and sign up a lot of African soccer teams because I, I just always loved watching African football. And, you know, I was the first one to sign players uh, that started to play the Bundesliga, uh, you know, a long, long time ago. Now you have African players all over the Premier League, uh, all over the world. At the time, that was a novelty. Um, and we then signed teams, uh, many t won, won the African Cup of Nations many times. And we also, you know, built some products uh, around what we call Puma Creative and Puma Safe uh, by bringing artists from Africa into the fold and, and, and allow them to design some of our products. So I felt that there was uh, sort of in, in sync and in line with the Puma brand at the time. Jochen, what not many people know about you is that you're a star musician. <laughs> 
I'm not sure what to start with. I'm trying my best. Uh, well, I tell you what, <laughs> I have even been to one of your concerts and I loved it. <laughs> Thank you very much. T- tell us about this love for music. Um, yeah, I mean, I grew up playing guitar and then I stopped for a couple of decades and I was every time I saw a guitarist on stage, I got really sad and then I picked up my guitar again. I said, I want to be really good. And that's when I started practicing on it every day and uh, got into percussive guitar playing, which is very, very technical. Unfortunately, given my travel schedule, uh, I, I wasn't able to ba- play in a band. Uh, so I'm a solo guitarist, acoustic guitarist now. And from time to time, I like to get on stage with uh, on my own or with some friends. Well, it's really impressive. I have actually seen you dragging along the guitar onto planes and so on. Always, yeah. I said that's my uh, that's my my girlfriend that travels with me. My wife doesn't mind. <laughs> Moving back to Harley, what are the challenges and opportunities you are seeing just now? Well, challenges, obviously, just like with everyone that is in manufacturing, the supply chain is a huge challenge, continues to be. You know, everyone globalized its supply chain um, and, uh, you know, getting parts, getting chips, getting supplies is, is, a, is a daily battle um, that, uh, that we are facing. I'd say that's the biggest challenge we have right now, I think. Uh, through the rewire and the hardwire, we have a fantastic strategy that we are executing on a daily basis. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot has been accomplished, but uh, it certainly hasn't been easy considering the headwinds that uh, that we had to face. You know, starting with COVID, uh, then tariffs on Harley Davidson motorcycles into Europe, and uh, and now certainly supply side chain issues. But uh, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So hopefully, we'll get out of it. Unless the, re- the recession is the next step which we don't hope, but don't know. Um, but we're certainly prepared for the worst and, uh, and we, we hope for, for the best um, with a really sound strategy that uh, will make us the most desirable uh, sport and lifestyle and, and brand, motorcycle brand in the world uh, over the next few years. Mm. Now, we should um, also touch on some of the slightly uh, less easy uh, topics, uh, given that we are uh, an active shareholder. And uh, as you know, we have started to announce our voting intentions uh, ahead of time. And um, we um, voted against uh, your salary at the last uh, AGM because we thought it was uh, too high and we thought it was too short term in terms of the incentives. What is your view on shareholders like us? Well, I mean, look, it's always good to to have another opinion, right? Um, you know, the incentive program that was just put in place is, is, is very much driven by achieving us achieving a certain uh, share price, which is aspirational. And, uh, and, and, and only if that is achieved, there is a significant payout. The difference being that you have to account for it as actual costs in the year that the shares are being granted. Uh, I think if I read it correctly, uh, you voted because you didn't feel that there was a, you meaning uh, the Norwegian Pension Fund didn't feel that there was a long-term strategy. I would oppose uh, that opinion. In fact, we have a very clear long-term strategy and only if we achieve it, um, you know, will, 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 the, the, will the shares actually uh, be in the money. So until then, it's, it's, a, it's a cost on paper, but it's, it's not an actual cost in terms of the shares being issued. Uh, and the goals are truly aspirational. So not not quite sure I, uh, I agree with uh, the position, but I certainly appreciate the, the opinion that you might have. 
Yeah, and we, as you know, we also have an opinion about uh, chairmanship and CEO not being the same person, and this is, has nothing to do with you. It's a general policy that we that we advocate. What what, are, what is your view on that? Yeah, I mean, look, I've been always as my as a CEO, I've always been a chairman, um, so I've I've kind of never worked any differently. Uh, we take governance uh, very very seriously. Uh, we have a, a great lead director and a great board, so. Um, I, I would say we have clear division of power and who says and who's not. And I take that very, very seriously myself in terms of, you know, having a close relationship with our lead director. Um, but I've always operated that way and, and it's served me well. And therefore, I felt it was important to keep that unison in terms of chairmanship and, and, and being the CEO, but being very aware of uh, governance uh, as, as an overriding uh, topic that, uh, you know, that needed to be very carefully evaluated on a daily basis really. Mm, mm. So Jochen, one of the things you have done in um, in Harley, as I understand, is to make the employees shareholders. Tell us about that. Yeah, I think it's important that everyone wins when the company wins. And, uh, you know, we came out of a difficult time when I took over. COVID was just about to happen. Uh, the the, the factories closed down and the company had gone through four restructurings in four years. And I just felt that, you know, if the CEO wins, the company needs to win, everybody needs to win. And, you know, we have some incredible craftsmen in our factories as well that have been working for decades uh, and are passionate about the brand. And I, I felt that any everybody, including our hourly workers, all of our employees around the world should participate in the success of the company. And that's why uh, we decided collectively, um, you know, to, to make everybody shareholder. And I think that's the right thing to do. And again, if the company wins, when the company wins, everybody should win and not just a few select people. On a um, uh, slightly different um, topic here, you you were in a way uh, lucky or fortunate to get into important positions at a young age. Mm. When you look back at yourself at this stage, what would you have loved to know that you didn't know at the time? It's a good question. I actually never look back. I kind of think you pick up the ball or you play the ball where it lies, right? So I, I, I never look back and every situation, every decision you take in the past can't be replicated into the future. So I, I don't think I would have changed much. Of course, you know, along the way you make some mistakes too, but you know, I don't look at correcting it because I can't, right? But I try to avoid making the same mistake twice for sure. Um, I think what served me really well is getting into a leadership position very quickly rather than sort of growing through the ranks and, you know, having to deal with all the politics that come along with it. And um, that made me a very fast and pragmatic decision maker without, you know, necessarily thinking about the politics behind it uh, in business. So, you know, I, 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 I consider myself fortunate of being able to be put in a position of decision making and responsibility at a very early stage in my uh, life and that sort of formed me ever since uh, all the way until today and what would be the main advice to young people today then well follow your follow your passion follow your follow your instincts in a way uh, and 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 what you've learned and you know see where you where you have an opportunity to get into a position of responsibility uh, early on you know at the time when i became ceo it was very unusual to become a CEO at 29. Um, today, uh, you know, startups define the future very often. Uh, and I'd say it's it's a little easier, capital is easier to get to, but uh, you know, you've got to have a relentless uh, energy and passion to succeed. And uh, I've never given up even at times when I was thinking 
of is this is ever going to work and you just stick with it even if you sometimes don't know if you come out uh, on the right side of the tunnel um, I was fortunate enough to always sort of end up at the right side on the right side and uh, but you know you never know until you try and, uh, and keep trying you know when you fail and get up and keep trying again and that's sort of my motto nothing happens uh, overnight you know you have to plan longer term and if but you if you truly have the energy the passion uh, and you believe in your idea you can always succeed Sounds like a, a very nice uh, place to end. And I uh, love all your passions, Jochen. Very few people put them into a combination like you have done. You know, a really, really holistic and uh, incredible life. Yeah, thanks, Nicola. I appreciate it. So thank you so much for taking the time and good luck going forward. Thank you. Thanks very much. Mm.